What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the DGUS Thought Lab podcast and the audio reading of The Peter Principle, Why Things at Work Always Go Wrong. So I'll read the article first, and then as we go through, and then at the end, I will elaborate a little bit on just some of my thoughts uh, on the topic and some more detail on the references. You drag yourself away from the gravitational pull of your warm, fluffy bed earlier than is civilized, do unnatural things like shaving or pulling your hair into a headache-inducing bun, and endure life-shortening traffic to report to a job that you may or may not find any enjoyment in, let alone self-fulfillment or joy, only to be confronted by a mind-numbingly stupid boss. And while choking back career-altering or ending insults that happen to be accurate and popularly agreed with, you have to ponder endlessly the same maddening question. Why? Swooping in silently and landing in a superhero stance on your nightstand comes the work of Dr. Lawrence J. Peter and the stubborn insistence that it be broadcasted far and wide from co-author Raymond Hull, The Peter Principle. This book is the answer to why your organization, like many others, continue failing to accomplish competent leadership. And yes, as you suspected deep down, the solution is as simple, though maybe not as easy as we'll discuss, as putting the square peg in the square hole. The Peter Principle is best summarized as an employee within a hierarchy inevitably being promoted beyond their level of competence. This reality logically causes severe damage to the efficacy of an organization in reaching whatever its stated goals are and is observable by the leaders and managers right along with those most affected, the competent. So, why? As a military, we've long embraced an up-or-out policy in which not promoting is considered criteria for discharge from service. The system was established for the modern military by a law passed in 1980 called the Defense Officer Personnel Management Act, or DOPMA, or DOPMA, D-O-P-M-A. This act, in many ways, handcuffs military leadership into keeping substandard performers instead of the frustrated high performers that choose to take their talents outside the military, where they will be valued at a higher rate both intrinsically and personally, gaining value in their quality of life overall in an extremely meaningful way. Even more interestingly, the objection to up or out isn't new. Leadership has recognized for over a hundred years that this approach doesn't work. Rear Admiral H.O. Dunn vehemently opposed this, this policy and called his philosophy selection out in a 1917 Proceedings Magazine article titled Peer Selection or Selection Up versus Selection Out. He began by saying, and I quote, I am not a believer in selection up. Assuming that any such method adopted will bring the best officers to the top, a very doubtful assumption, certain inevitable results will ensue. He then goes on to detail that commanders should be empowered to remove substandard sailors. This does two things. One, it allows the high-performing sailors to remain. And two, it improves the morale of those sailors by not having to pull the dead weight of the underperforming sailors. Even more interesting, when viewed through the lens of the Peter Principle, it should give you a far denser field from which to choose leaders amongst those high performers. But therein lies the rub. How we choose leaders is a part of the problem. Dr. Peter details in his book that when you identify that a high performing person at a lower level and then you decide to reward them with a promotion, 
You're generally ripping them from their area of expertise and comfort and thrusting them into a managerial and or leadership position that functionally outside of their charges, the people working for them being people doing their former job has absolutely nothing to do with what they're good at that led to their promotion. So effectively, they were promoted for meeting or exceeding non-applicable promotion criteria. It would be like hiring me to be a librarian because I like reading. Sounds relevant, but being a librarian includes a ton of inventory management, tracking locations of assets, administrative, managerial, and organizational taskings, taskings and skills that have absolutely nothing to do with the enjoyment of reading a book. See what I mean? So why should you care? Well, the reason why you're so frustrated with your leadership because, is because by and large, they have been promoted to their level of incompetence. Feels harsh, even typing, or in this case, saying it, but it's true. I've talked for a long time on Don't Give Up the Ship podcast about how I, ba- I was barely ready when the Navy promoted me to chief and how in being further and further removed from cooking, which was my job at the time, I seriously considered getting out of the Navy following that promotion because they were removing me from what I loved. Luckily, I found leadership development and realized I loved it even more than cooking. Most don't. They want the pay bump and arguably the increase in responsibility, which they perceive the responsibility to mean privilege. But when they find out what it actually means in practice, they panic. They're good people who aren't used to failing. At the beginning, we talked about they're high-performing people. And in being confronted with the uncomfortable idea that they have no idea what they're doing, most allow pride to interfere with asking for help. With their being humble enough to simply raise their hand and say, I don't know what I'm doing and I need help. It's simply human beings' fallibility. The organization doesn't even realize the scale to which they're harming themselves by harming you. They really don't understand why you're so dissatisfied with them and with your jobs and are baffled by low retention. There's had there's been headlines recently in big publications like the Military Times saying as much all the while the solution is simple, albeit not easy to implement. Fix leadership selection, development and education by ensuring competence. Embed it into our identity and progression to being considered for selection so that when we are considered, it's not for potential, which is what we do currently, ask me how I know, but for demonstrated excellence in leadership, period. I'll leave you with an excerpt from the United States Marine Corps manual entitled Leading Marines that I think captures the subjective idea and objective need to aggressively develop our people. The quote reads, this manual attempts to capture those heritages of the Marine Corps approach to leading. It is not prescriptive because there is no formula for leadership. It is not all inclusive because to capture all that is to be a Marine or to lead Marines defies pen and paper. Instead, it is intended to provide those charged with leading Marines a sense of the legacy they have inherited and to help them come to terms with their own personal leadership style. The indispensable condition of Marine Corps leadership is action and attitude, not words. 
If you want to check out the references uh, that I leaned on for writing the article, uh, they're listed at the bottom of the article. There's hyperlinks throughout the article and at the bottom. So go ahead and go check those out. Um, to elaborate on this, the first thing it, in the quote, it talks about leadership styles. Um, I'll, I'm going to do an article and a podcast on that, but I just, and I've talked about it on DGAS podcast as well. I just, leadership styles aren't real. They're a more apt description is leadership mechanisms. They're all just tools for you to leverage situationally. And, and I'll get in all that on a whole, on a whole different article and podcast. But, um, that's the first thing, uh, even though I, I very, I, I that, quote resonated with me quite a bit because of how it, how it's talking about how the the subjectivity of it right like it defies pen and paper to to try to like write a manual saying this is how you lead and it just gives you like cookie cutter approaches to everything and just oh but if if this happens then do this that's almost never going to uh going to do it it's it's very very difficult to be prescriptive with this because there's no formula uh, as the quote said which i really enjoyed um but when you get into one of the, one of the things I want to elaborate on was when you get into the leadership selection. That's a thing that a lot of people spend a lot of time on in relation to the military and even out in the civilian world, right? Where where you a lot of times people are left sitting there wondering how in the hell did this person get promoted to that position? Uh, and I've had this experience recently where I watched somebody make chief. And it just, in my mind, reinforced how broken the system is because objectively this person had no business being promoted. And it hurts my heart to say that because I, you know, it, now that it happens because the system is what it is and we know its flaws, it's our job as a, as a chief's mess and a Navy to, you know, rally around that person and get them to where they need to be. The problem with that is we barely have time to do the thing I'm describing as a solution in this article. We barely have time to devote to the existing people on their way up to robustly developing them as leaders so that when they arrive at selection, we're not selecting for potential to do a job they've never done before. And that, and I'm telling you, that's literally what we're doing. We talk about it at the selection board for chiefs in the Navy. We talk about as we're going through everything, like we're selecting them based on us analyzing the record, going through their evals, looking at all the, you know, you have objective criteria and subjective criteria via the enlisted career path uh, saying like, oh, they need to be, they need to have this much leadership experience and they need to do these other things and they need to be uh, rated above the average, which we call RISCA, like that you need to be performing uh, above that so that we know that you're an above average performer and all these things, right? We want to see sustained superior performance, which is a thing that we say, but what we're asking them to do is be a sustained superior performer in an area that is largely not applicable to what they're about to do, right? Because when you promote to chief, you're not turning wrenches anymore. Generally, you're not doing the thing anymore. I, I was never turning wrenches. I fixed a couple faucets one time, but that's <laughs> like, I'm not in the galley cooking anymore. I'm tracking inventory. I'm ordering things. I'm worried about sustainability, endurance, consumables, um, I'm worried about like acceptabilities and and paperwork and and financial accountability and tracking funds and all these things that until then had nothing to do with my job really. I was just going to the galley and making good food because I like to make people happy with food. That's it. And then you get promoted and and like all of a sudden you're ripped away from all the things that you're not only that I I loved at the time, but that I was good at. You selected me to a leadership position based on 
effectively not leading. Like, sure, I was an LPO for a little while, right? And and I was herding cats in an effective manner, but I was teaching them how to cook better. I was kind of like parenting them a little bit, but I was just like, instead of doing all the cooking myself, I was teaching them how to be better cooks. So I was still doing that thing that I was really good at, but then they promoted me past my level of competence. And all of a sudden, and I talk a lot about this on DS podcast as well, where all of a sudden <laughs> I had to like figure out how to be a leader and a, and a manager on a level I was not comfortable with or familiar with or skilled at. I just wasn't. I was a dumpster fire for my first year as a chief. I like I had no idea what to do with my hands. I was trying to do the same things and I was way too involved in the day to day. So I was ineffective in that regard. Luckily, I was among a bunch of very good chiefs, senior chiefs and master chiefs that rallied around me and taught me how to do it correctly. But it still took me over a year to get my feet under me and feel like I kind kind of knew what I was doing. Um, it's something that it's there's a certain amount of it that is to be expected right like it, it when you say that it's like of course as you, when you get promoted to a position there's going to be a learning curve there's going to be an adjustment period of some kind but to take a year to get competent at leading people I, th- there's that's unacceptable because you got you have to consider that during that year long period my people suffered they just they did i was not doing a good job Um, I was doing everything I could like my heart was in the right place. I wanted to be a good leader for them. I just didn't know how to do it. And I I go back to a lot uh, on DS podcasts and other discussions like and I'm sure I will in these articles that I was never taught the entire time I was in the military up to that point. So it was I was nine and a half years in. I had never been taught leadership formally, informally, nothing like I was it was all about technical expertise like get good at your job get qualified more things be good at your job be a technical expert be able to fight the ship and that that goes like outside the galley on submarines like i was you know damage control and and getting control and qualify these other watches and and maybe get a collateral duty and do some other stuff right so i learned a bunch of institutional things along with my technical expertise but never at any point was I taught leadership except when I was occasionally mentored by some leaders that I had. And and I mean, when we're talking about ratio of good to bad leaders, I mean, it was like 20% good, maybe. I mean, I had some good ones, but I had many, many more bad ones. Um, so unfortunately, what happened to me and what happens to many people is I panicked. I I regressed back to my lowest level of training, which was effectively um, trying to emulate the leadership that I was most used to, which was that 80% more than the 20%. Like I would like to think I did okay sometimes, but there was a lot of it where I was like screaming and yelling and like trying to force them all into compliance and, and being very authoritative and, and bullish. And, and I talk, I tell a story a lot, like where there was this moment one day where I was yelling at a group of my sailors and I just watched all like 10 seconds in, I watched all their eyes glaze over because, Oh, it's just like, he's, Oh, he's yelling again. And so they just ride it or ride it out, you know, like just, it's a, it's a storm they're used to. So they're just, you know, batting it down the hatches and riding it out. And like, he'll shut up eventually. And as soon as I saw that, I was just like, 
oh my God, they're not even listening to me. Like this is completely ineffective. They don't care what I'm saying. And they're and I'm and I've done this to myself by conditioning them to expect this, knowing that it's going to come. And I get zero response from them because they feel devalued. And uh, it's just not what most people respond to and isn't productive. And so that was kind of a, a eureka moment for me to start learning like, oh, I got to figure out how to be a, an effective leader. And if they're not listening to me in the way that I'm currently doing it, then I'm doing it wrong. And that's where I get back to the leadership styles thing where it's like. You can say you have a particular leadership style and it's if the sailors on the receiving end are not responding to that leadership style, you have the wrong leadership style, which is why I think leadership styles in and of themselves are stupid. Like for you to adopt one style and think you can apply it to a diverse group of human beings is is illogical and incorrect, in my opinion. And I would argue objectively, but uh being aware of all the air quotes leadership styles or what I would describe as mechanisms, like having all those tools available to you, being able to do all those things and then analyzing the situation, like who am I dealing with? What are, what's the the problem we're trying to solve? Where am I trying to lead these people? Um, and then say, okay, what's the best mechanism for not just for the situation as a whole, but then all the individual people that I need to get going the same direction so that we can attack that problem. And then applying those tools as needed situationally, that's the way that you do this. It's it's human interaction and relationships, and that's where you get into the psychology end of it. Um, but that's where I'm going to start to wrap this up as well. Um, I really appreciate if you're listening to this, it means you're you're a subscriber. Uh, and for that, I, I appreciate you financially supporting this, you know, big, grand <laughs> dream that I have of, of expanding the platform and turning this into uh, just like a leadership development um, ecosystem where through all these platforms, not only can I continue to help people on a, on a larger scale and continue to offer value to you, but also uh, I can turn it into a business so that that can just become my life's work. You know, like that can become the mission and I can bring more people in and expand it and do more things and, and just, you know, it, it, it snowballs and, and your contribution is, is that is contributing to it, being able to do that. And I really, really appreciate it. Uh, so thank you. Um, if you need anything from us, as always hit us up, don't give up the ship podcast at gmail.com. You can Facebook message us. Don't give up the ship podcast, or you can DM us on Instagram or Reddit at Degas podcast or on discord. Um, any of the, whatever, whatever works for you. Uh, don't be afraid to reach out. You can comment on the articles and the podcast and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and again, I really, really appreciate you. And that's it. That's what I got for you today. Thank you so much for listening and don't give up the ship. Mm-hmm.